to be refreshed together. So, uh, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for each woman that is here tonight. God, I thank you that you are forever faithful, that, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And, God, we are not here by accident. And, Lord, I thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I thank you, Lord, that your anointing is dropping in this place. The, the power of God is already flowing. People are already being healed. These ladies are already starting to sense the shifting and the things that are happening in their own bodies and the chains that are breaking off right now. And God, because of the worship, the anointing destroys the yoke. It is not a man. It is you. It is not a woman. It is you. And so, God, I thank you for your presence. You said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are right here in the midst of us. And so we honor you, Holy Ghost, and we say, have your way in this place tonight. And we are careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Woo. I've got some of my ladies here from my Gary Wood days. Y'all are going to hear my story. Y'all know my little Miss Betty. You know, you've heard me talk about her. And so you're going to hear some more. And, you know, Miss Carol and Donna. You know, I mean, it, like, it could go on for days, but let's get started. Okay. So tonight we are going to talk about choices. Because mm, the choices that you made yesterday have affected where you are today, right? Yeah, and if you're like me, then maybe you've made some wrong choices in your life. But cheer up, because God's Word is our guide to making right choices every day. Every day of your life, you can get up and, and choose to follow the Word of God and the will of God. Because we know that God has a plan, right? I mean, we know Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you but plans to give you hope and a future. <laughs> and he says, if you'll seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And when we find him, we find the plan, right? And so the deal is, is that we've got to go after him with our whole heart. See, a half-hearted seeker will never fulfill the plans and the purposes of God in our life. And so, um, so we're gonna, I'm going to share some life lessons with you that I managed to live to tell about. And um, life lesson number one is choose to live in today. Choose to live in today. Philippians 3.13 says this one thing I do. How many? One thing. I mean, he just narrows it on down to one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're going to go on with God, it's going to be a press. You're going to have to press through towards the prize. And you're going to have to go with God because you know what? Opposition is going to come when you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to press in and I'm going to go after you with my whole heart. And so we've got to go after God with our whole heart. This one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind. Your past is worthy of one thing, and that's forget about it. <laughs> forget about it, they say in New Jersey. Forget about it. Forget about your past and move on into the things that God has for you. Listen, some of you need to let go of those broken relationships and those people that have abused you. And you need to let go of the unforgiveness and the things. And you just need to say, God, I let go of that. I forget. Not that you're going to forget. You know, Paul didn't forget the pit from which he was dug. 
He was thankful that he had been through everything and God had delivered him out. So God's not going to give you amnesia, but he is going to let you be thankful for the pit from which he pulled you out of. Because, see, I could live in the, the pain and regrets and the shame of my past, but I choose to live in today. David, the psalmist, said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. We don't have to be depressed like the world is depressed. We have God living on the inside of us. And we can tap into that wellspring of joy whenever we need to. And so, you know, we don't have to be chained to our past. Because the day that you get born again, you become a woman without a past. Woo, that is good gospel news right there. Amen, right? Your past cannot keep you from your future. And so uh, I thank God, you know, my parents, I lived in a small town in Sylacauga, Alabama. That's where I was raised. And um, my parents, my daddy had been an alcoholic our whole life. And um, when I got to be about nine years old, things got very abusive in our home. And so my mom felt it was best that we left and moved here to Birmingham where my Nana lived. And, and Nana lived in Inslee. And so we moved to Inslee from the little small town of Sylacauga into the metropolis of Inslee and started going, you know, and, I mean, lived in a neighborhood full of kids. I mean, everywhere there was kids. And so... Life was tough, and, um, you know, by the, by the time I was 13 years old, I was already hanging out with the wrong crowd. My mom had to go to work. We became latchkey kids, and we would come in from school, and we had tons of kids. And, and so, you know, I, at 13 years old, I was starting to smoke pot and skip school. By the time I was um, 16 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I became everything, the anger and the, and the, um, I had an older brother and sister, and um, I became everything that I really couldn't stand about my father. That's what I became, a raging alcoholic at 16 years old, went to my first drug treatment center when I was 13 years old. When I was 23, I was a full-blown uh, cocaine addict, almost all my teeth have had to be replaced. You know, Satan takes you so much further than you ever wanted to go, and he keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. I never set out in my life to become a drug addict or an alcoholic, but I didn't have anybody speaking into my life saying, Suzanne, God has a plan for you. If you will just seek after him, if you will just yield your heart to him. And so, you know, I mean, I went to church with sweet people, you know, a little denominational church and Nana's church, but I never heard of the born-again experience. And so my life had begun to spiral out of control because really I never looked like those Vogue magazine hotties, you know. <laughs> Why God ever thought this nose fit on this face, I'll never know, <laughs> but he did. <laughs> and so some things, you know, you get in fights at school about because kids can be mean. But, you know, I mean, there were bullies back in my day, too. Yeah, let me just say. And so uh, we don't want to raise up mean girls. We want to raise up sweet girls. They're going to take little girls under their wing and say, you can do it. You can be everything God has called you to be. And so, you know, because really... Um, all my life, I struggled with those addictions and things because who was our role model when we're growing up? Oh, Miss Barbie, Miss mm, 36, 24, 36 with her long blonde hair and her perky little nose and her blue eyes. And she never said anything wrong because she couldn't talk. 
Yeah, but Miss Barbie sends a very powerful message to little girls. You know, if you're not blonde and beautiful, you know, I looked more like Skipper. Y'all remember Skipper? <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, and so, you know, the enemy, he is a liar. The world will tell you if you're not blonde and beautiful, then you're insignificant and unpopular, and you're never going to make it. But that is a lie from the pit. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. He fashioned you just the way he wanted you to be. And so I said, okay, well, I, you know, I just, I just never could get a grip on that. So a list of attitudes and behaviors rooted in a false view of beauty is forever long. Envy, comparison, competitiveness, jealousy, promiscuity, sexual addictions, eating disorders, immodest dress, flirtatious behavior, and the list goes on and on. And I pretty much had every single one of those. And so, you know, we, um, we just, we can't, we got to just love people. We got to bring them in. I thank God for Becky. Everywhere she goes, she is just telling people how much she loves them and that God loves them. Because, you know, they're coming in with purple hair and enough rings in their face to hang a shower curtain. And we're saying, come on, baby. <laughs> we don't care. We love you. We're going to bring you in. We're going to love on you. God has a plan for your life. You could be a preacher, girl. Right. And so, so, um, so by the time I was 31 years old, I was a depressed, suicidal, alcoholic, and a drug addict. I was angry. I'd pushed everybody out of my life. And I was, uh, you know, I was just hopeless. And I didn't know how to fix myself. And so I seemed successful on the outside. I was living the American dream. I had a house and I had a car and I had a job. And you say, well, how could you keep a job as a crazy drug addict alcoholic? I was like, well, my boss was an alcoholic, so it kind of worked out. But, um, you know, so I was, I was living the American dream, but I was caught in my own personal nightmare and I could not seem to wake up, and I could not figure out how to get out of that vicious cycle. And so, um, you know, I, I, so I was driving home from work one day thinking of taking my life. I had tried to commit suicide since I was 10 years old. I had tried over and over and over because, you know what, those voices are real. Those voices will tell you nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You might as well take your life because really everybody else will be better off without you on the planet. And I believed those lies. I tried drug overdoses. I tried running my car off a bridge. I tried loading a 38 pistol and I got so drunk that I, that I fell asleep and I, wake, I woke up with a gun in my lap. And I was driving home from work and I was thinking of taking my life and I was 31 years old. I had lived in the world for that long, and you can fill in the blanks on the broken relationships and the abuse that comes with that. And I drove past this church. I was living out in Hueytown, Alabama, and I, I drove past this church, and, and I looked over, and there was this huge camp meeting sign out front. And I thought, camp meeting, I wonder what that means. You know, this big sign, you know, God's still into signs and wonders. <laughs> and so... <laughs> 
And so I thought, there's this huge camp meeting sign. It must mean summer camp. I didn't know any Pentecostal lingo at Nana's church, you know. And so I drove home, and there I, 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 I went home, and I took a nap. And when I woke up, I usually went out as a lady of the evening. And this night, I knew I had to be at that church. I had to be there. And I got in my car, and I drove down there, and I sat in the parking lot. And I'm like, what? And so I'm sitting in the parking lot watching all these people come in in suits and ties and dresses and Bibles. And I thought, you know, this is just another place that I don't belong. I could be in a room full of people, and I felt like I never fit in anywhere. And I was getting ready to crank my car and drive away, and it was like a hand pushed me out of my car. And I walked up the steps to that church, and I didn't want to go to church on a Tuesday night. Who goes to church on a Tuesday night? Oh, same people come out on Saturday night, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I, I came through the doors, and there was a little greeter standing at the door. And uh, Dean Kirby, and she was standing there with a little bulletin in her hand. And she looked at me, you know, skin-top blue jeans and a low-cut blouse because I was going out, you know. And, um, and she said, well, honey, are you by yourself? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I don't know the first thing about an Assembly of God church. I just know that when I woke up, I had to be here. And she went, oh, praise the Lord. And I thought, oh, no, I've heard about people like you. <laughs> I think we had an Avon lady like that one time. Yeah. And so I, I was like, she said, come on, you can just come and sit with me. And so before I knew it, I was trapped in her web. And so here I was. And, and I mean, here is the choir and the band. And, I mean, they are jumping up and down, hooting and rooting and shouting. It is camp meeting. And, you know, and I'm like, Oh, my goodness, this cannot be church. I mean, drums and guitars in the church? That is sacrilege. You know, because, oh, uh, you know, at Nana's church, drums and guitars, I mean, that was totally no. I mean, because at Nana's church, the lady came out in the long black robe, and she sat down at the pipe organ like Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. And the pastor would come out in his long black robe and say, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. <laughs> well, that would scare the liver out of a fourth grader or whoever wanted to get to know that kind of God, right? And so I was like, this cannot be church. And so um, all of a sudden, here comes Pastor Loper, because uh, it was Gary Wood, Assembly of God. And here goes Pastor Loper with probably one of the most eloquent speakers you'll ever hear in your life, and it was Dr. Mark Rutland. And Dr. Rutland was a missionary at the time, but he'd gone on to be the president of Southeastern Bible College and president of Oral Roberts University. And so um, he came out, and he shared a simple message on the love of God. And he looked across the audience that night, and he said, you may be here tonight, and you wish you had never even been born. And I thought, that's me. Every morning that I wake up and have to face another sunrise, I think, why am I even on this planet? Why, does, why do I even have to exist here anymore? I hate myself. I just hated looking at myself in the mirror. And I was like, I don't even know why I'm even here. And he said, you could be here tonight and you wish you had never even been born. But I'm here to tell you, you can be born again. You can start your life over. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter who you were with last night. 
He said, you can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and you can stand before a holy God as if you had never sinned. And I had tears streaming down my face thinking, how have I been raised in church almost my whole life, and I've never even heard this. And he said, if you want to pray a simple prayer like I prayed, and he was about to give the altar call, and he said, I want you to bow your heads. And when he said, bow your heads, my legs jumped up. I ran to the front. I had never seen an altar call in my life. And I knelt down, and Carol Dudley, you came and you prayed with me. And I said, God, if this is real, I want it. I want to change. I want a new beginning. And that night on September 14, 1993, I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Woo! lose the wonder of your salvation. You have a story to tell, and God will put people in your path to hear your story. I went to work the next day, and I said, I got what they call born again. I said, you got to come to church with me. And my friends were like, we don't want to go to church, because these are all my drinking and drugging buddies. And I said, I know, but it's not like church. It's like God is there. <laughs> It's like, and so my friends, some of them started coming and getting born again. And so then we started going, you know, it's like every night. There was like, uh, I got saved on a Tuesday night. We went Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. You know, it's camp meeting. That's what you do. And so camp meeting service. And so we were there. And on Friday night, there was this fiery evangelist there. And when he got done preaching, he said, if you want everything God's got for you, I want you to come to the front. And I thought, well, you know, I want everything God's got for me. But I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> so I came to the front with the whole tribe of Israel. I mean, we are packed in like sardines. And here comes, you know, the little evangelist. And I'm thinking, he is pushing those little ladies down in the floor. <laughs> like, what is going on? And so, um, so he got in front of me, and I mean, I felt the fire of God coming off the man. I didn't know anything about the anointing. I just wanted to touch the fire. And so he got in front of me, and our eyes locked, and he saw the hunger in my eyes. And he, he, he told my friend Karen, who was behind me, he said, get behind her and push. And she pushed me up to where my fingertips touched his and it was like 10,000 volts of electricity started going down my arm. And I looked at Karen with my eyes this big, and she said, go with it. <laughs> so I did. I hit the floor like a rock as God washed years of depression off of me, filled me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Woo! When I sat up, my throat was on fire, and I was speaking in a language I had never heard before. <laughs> I was the first person I ever heard speak in tongues. <laughs> does God have a sense of humor or what? Yes, he does. And see, yep, and so that's when I came to realize that God really never meant for us to go through life sober. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, where is excess? You know, you drink the wine of the world. There's another translation that says, don't be drunk with wine, for it will ruin your life. And it, it will. You know, we just passed, when we were coming down Highway 119 coming here, 
um, I looked over and it says, um, Alabama spirits. See, even the world knows that it's a spirit. It is a spirit that is sent to destroy your life. And so Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Be filled so you can drink and drink. And all it does is make more capacity for more of God. And you never have a hangover. Woo, that's something to shout about <laughs> right there. <laughs> Amen. So choose to live in today. Your past is history. Your future is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yes. Okay. Okay, life lesson number two. <sighs> I need some water. <laughs> Ron says he takes a little water to keep a windmill going. <laughs> hey, y'all to know. <laughs> okay, life lesson number two, choose to renew your mind. Choose to renew your mind. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, meaning there's two worlds. Mm -hmm. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Listen, ladies, there is a perfect will of God for your life. Perfect. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be acceptable. Like, eh, that'll do to get me into heaven. I want to be smack dab in the perfect will of God all the days of my life. Don't you? Yes. And we can be. See, you know, just because you get born again, your spirit man is born again, but your flesh is still like Joe Sinner down the street. <laughs> wants to do the same old stuff that it used to do. Wants to drink and chew and run with girls to do. And we don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, so we have to get our mind renewed with the Word of God. I thank God for the little white-haired ladies of the church. Oh, honey, they took my, me on as a mission. You believe it? I mean, I came in with big hair, red lips, and many skirts up to here. And they said, here, honey, here's your Bible. Why don't you start reading it tonight? <laughs> and I said, okay. You know, remain teachable all the days of your life, Right? I thank God for little Miss Betty, my little Miss Betty Schwarzkopf. She's here. She's right there in that little blue shirt over there. And y'all see pictures of her all the time. It's so important to have mentors in your life. You've got to have somebody speaking into your life. My little Miss Betty, you know, she taught me, they taught me how to tithe and give to missions. I mean, I would, I would sit next to her in church, and I would see that little offering plate. It would, it would never go by that she didn't put something in there. And so she invited me to her house for lunch, and, uh, and I asked her, I said, I said, you know, I noticed that you never let it go by that you don't put something in there. And she said, honey, you get this, and you get it good. You cannot outgive God for one thing. You can't outgive God. And she said, I never come before the king without a gift because he never comes before me without a gift. Amen. Amen. Thank you for teaching me to love, to give, and to give to missions and to tithe. Because, But she also taught me how to pray through until you get the victory. She taught me how to, how to plead the blood of Jesus 
My little pioneers of faith taught me that the Word of God generates life, and it creates faith, and it heals hurts, and it builds character, and it scares the daylights out of the devil. Jesus taught us how to fight the devil when he was in the wilderness. With it is written. It is written. He taught us that. And so, you know, I mean, I just, I just have to... I just have to thank God for my little pioneers of faith that, you know, I would be, you know, having a bad day. And they would call me and say, don't give up. Don't you give up. You keep pressing in, you know, because David the psalmist didn't say in Psalm 119, thy word have I highlighted with a yellow pen. No, he didn't. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so, you know, once I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and God had put some awesome mentors in my life, I thought, surely there is a husband on the horizon, because <laughs> I was 31 and we're burning daylight, <laughs> right? And the Lord said, Suzanne, you are nowhere near ready for a husband. First of all, you don't know how to keep your big mouth shut. <laughs> He's still working on that one, you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> so... I needed to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I had lived in the world for 31 years. I didn't even know how to love myself, much less love a husband. And so, you know, I needed love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I mean, the words that we speak carry the power of life and death. Life and death. You can speak life or death over your marriage, over your children, over your pastors. Life or death is in the power of the tongue. And so, you know, I, I had to begin to understand that my words were weighty. And I could say something and, oh, I could shred you really with my words. And you could come back and say, I'm so sorry. I wish I'd never said that. And they can actually forgive you. But you know what? It never takes away the pain that it made them feel. And so we've got self-control. That's part of learning how to temper your temper. <laughs> and um, faithfulness. I would never been faithful at anything. And so I needed to learn how to be faithful. And so I thought, well, you know, Lord, since you know, you're not going to give me a husband anytime soon. I'm going to start my date night with the Holy Ghost. Woo! Date night with the Holy Ghost. And uh, for three years, I spent my Saturday nights with the Lord. And I, um, I would, I would, uh, my friends would call and say, we're going to a movie or we're going, you know, and I said, oh, no, not tonight. I have a date tonight. You have a date? Oh, yes, I do. It is date night with the Holy Ghost. And so I would, I would run up the stairs when I'd get home from work, and I'd open the door and say, hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> because, you know, God the Father is in heaven, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit has been sent here to the earth. And John 14 and John 16 says he's here to lead us and guide us and teach us and show us things to come. I don't know about you, but I want to know things to come, don't you? And, and so as, as I began to pray out the plans of God for my life, because um, Jeremiah 33.3 says, if, you, if, if you'll call me, I will answer you. See, you're... you're 
um, future may be a mystery to you, but it's not a mystery to God. Remember that 80s song, call me, da, na, na. Yeah. <laughs> That's what God says, call me and I will answer you, girl, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of that are fenced in and hidden for you, not from you. And he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto man but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Listen, it's a mystery to you, but it's not a mystery to God. And if you'll carve out time to pray in the Holy Ghost, you'll know what to do about certain situations. And we've got to, we've got to walk with him and learn to discern his voice in these last days because Jesus told us, he says, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. Listen, there's a lot of voices clamoring for your attention out there, ladies. You better know the voice of your shepherd in these last days. And so I began to pray out the plans and the purposes of God. And one night while I was having a date night with the Holy Ghost, it was always different, you know. And so I was reading the word, and Proverbs 31, 23 just leapt off the page. And it said, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And he said, Suzanne, if you'll wait on me, I'll bring you a husband that will see you as the treasure that I see you as. And you'll come alongside him and you'll help him fulfill his destiny. But you have to wait. And I was like, oh, man, I don't want to wait. <laughs> wait? I'm 31. Hello? I've been waiting. And he said, no, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you're going to have to wait. So what do you say when the master says wait? Yes, sir. In the south, we say yes, sir. So I waited and I waited and I waited and I stayed in my home church for three years, which was just amazing. And then God called me to go to Bible college where I went to Rama Bridal Training Center <laughs> and thought I would get my MRS degree. And so there I was at Bible college and it was like I was invisible. And so, you know, I was there for two years, great years, learning how to walk by faith and be led by the Spirit of God. And then God called me to go to India. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, hold the phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you sure you don't mean Indiana? <laughs> I mean, India is so far away. And the Lord said, Suzanne, go to India. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> so what do you say when the master says, go to India? Yes, sir. Come on, y'all get with me. Yes, sir. Mm, Y'all are good. And so I packed my bags, and I went to India. And so, you know, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, brings me to life lesson number three. Choose to obey God. Choose to obey God. Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And so I went to India to work with Teen Challenge and rescue the girls. There's my girls. <laughs> and Project Rescue, and we rescued the little girls from the brothels of India. At nine years old, nine, you know, I, I lived in a village of a million people, open sewage, 
running through. I mean, it was just horrible. It was, you know, in the natural, it's 120 degrees by 7 o'clock in the morning. And the rats are about the size of this pulpit. And I slept with a boot in my bed so that I could get my girls up at 5 o'clock and drop a boot on the floor and the rats would go scurrying out. And, yeah, yeah. And, and um, so we would have devotions. And, uh, but in the village where I lived, it's very spiritually dark. And they, they're very superstitious. Um, they believe that if a boy child is born first, he brings a blessing of the millions of gods that they worship. If a girl child is born first, many times they'll put a heavy cloth over her face and suffocate her and send her down that river of sewage because they can't afford to pay a dowry. They can't afford to have a girl. They need to have a boy to carry their legacy. And so, I mean, it's just, um, they believe she brings a curse to the family. So, at nine years old, if she lives to be as old as nine, Many times a woman will come through the village and she'll say, let me just take your daughter. I will teach her a trade. I will give her a better life. You really can't afford to have her here. You need to keep trying for a son. And so let me take her. And they will take their daughters. Sometimes they'll sell their daughters for as little as $4 into slave prostitution, which is what's happening really. And they'll take her and take her away from her village usually down into Mumbai or uh, what used to be Bombay. And they will burn her, rape her, beat her until she submits. And then they'll put her behind a soil curtain on a nasty mat on a floor and force her to have as many as 30 relationships a day, a nine-year-old baby. And so my heart was just broken and overwhelmed. And I was like, God, I just don't know how I can do this. And um, many times uh, we saw some success with the girls. But, I mean, I, we would, for $200, you could buy a 16-year-old girl and bring her into your home, pay the debt to a brothel owner, bring her in and say, baby, I am so sorry for what has happened to you. But my God loves you so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross so that you could be free to live your life. And that is huge to a little girl in India. But they just can't conceive that a God would love them so much to die for them. His only son? That doesn't even make sense. And so many times I would stand at the gate and I'd watch my girls go back to prostitution because that's the only voice they had ever heard. You are worthless. You are nothing. Nobody will ever love you. And so I, after my first year was up, I said, I'm so ready to go back to the States. I'm ready to come home. And as I was getting my things together, they called from California. The missionaries from California called and said, Suzanne, we're, we're staying one more year in California. We need you to stay one more year in India. And I said, oh, no, I can't. I mean, really and truly, I'm exhausted spiritually, emotionally, physically. I am, I'm just done. And, and so Kelly said, Suzanne, you already have favor with Pastor Ivan. Because we were not a party when we came to church. <laughs> you start singing songs about the blood, and my girls would go manifesting. And so, yeah, so we were not always fun <laughs> to have in the house. And so... 
so I was like, but I'm ready to go back. She says, I know, but you already know the routine. Blah, blah, blah. Will you just pray about it? And I was like, no, do not ask me to pray about it. I will not pray. I know how God thinks. I don't want to pray about it. And so she, she said, please just pray about it. So I was like, Ugh. And so I said, well, I'm going to go house sit for a minute for um, some missionaries doing a children's camp in the middle of nowhere on the border of Nepal. And I said, I will, uh, I'll take some time to pray about it. So on the very last day, I said, God, you don't really want me to stay, do you? <laughs> and he said, one more year. Will you stay one more year? What do you say when the master says one more year? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll stay one more year. Choose to obey God. I would tell you it doesn't cost you anything, but really it costs you everything. But he's worth it. Jesus paid it all so that we could be free. And he says, freely you have received, so freely give. Freely give back. And so I said, yes, sir, I'll stay one more year. So I got on the Shatabdi Express, and I came in from the border of Nepal into New Delhi, the train station. And monsoon season had started. And, I mean, the rains came, and they flooded out the tracks. Everything was delayed. I never traveled at night. And so here I came in at 9 o'clock at night. And I thought, oh, this is not safe because there's just thousands of men in the train station. And so here I am, an American, which is a good thing I didn't look like Barbie because, you know, I would have really stuck out like a sore thumb. But um, so Skipper was in the train station. <laughs> and, and so I was like, oh, this is the worst place to be. And so... I thought, what to do? So I waited until 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, almost midnight. And then um, Sister Usha was there trying to find me, but she couldn't find me because I'd come in on a different track. So I waited, and I thought, I cannot spend the night here. This is so dangerous. And so I, I, got, I thought, well, I've taken a taxi before, so I'll just take a taxi. So I asked the taxi driver. I said, you know my village, Faridabad. And he said, yes. And so... I said, here's my address, and so I get in the taxi with him, and about 15 minutes into the ride, I realized he was not taking me to my village, and fear began to suffocate me, and I, I thought, oh, Lord, what to do, and so I reached up, I tapped him on the back, and I said, Baya, which means brother Faridabad is my village, and he shook his head, and about that time, he pulled into an abandoned service station where he blew the horn, and four men came out, and they began to circle the van and look into the van at my luggage and me. And, I mean, I had huge tears streaming down my face. And I thought, this cannot be happening to me. And I looked at probably the most demon-possessed man I've ever seen in my life, looked at that taxi driver and said, Kidna Pesa, yay, American, which means how much money do you want for her? He was about to sell me into slave prostitution. It would have been a prize to have had an American. I would have gone underground that night, and nobody would have ever known where to begin to search for me. But my little pioneers of faith had taught me how to plead the blood. My little pioneers of faith had taught me how to plead the blood. And I mean, I started, I was whispering under my breath, Father, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And the Holy Ghost on the inside of me says, speak it out. And I began to scream at the top of my voice, Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over my life, over this van. You said in Psalm 91, you've given. 
angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. And when I said that, those four men were slammed against that building. Their eyes were looking into heaven as I believe God showed them the angels of God. Woo, that are encamped around us. That little taxi driver jumped in. I prayed in the Holy Ghost all the way to my doorstep where he dropped me out and I never saw him again. Our God is faithful, I tell you. Our God is faithful. He is your faithful father. He is your protector. He is your provider. He's the way maker, the promise keeper, the miracle worker. <laughs> Woo, come on with it. So, so Sister Usha and I went on a 21-day fast because what do you do when you don't know what to do? <laughs> you fast and pray. And so, uh, so we, we fasted and we prayed. And during that time, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Suzanne, the, the year 2000 will be your year of miracles. So I wrote it in my journal. If you're not keeping a journal, you need to keep a journal because you can go back and see the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. And so I... Um, so I put it in my journal. The year 2000 is my year of miracles. And I thought, well, this must mean for my girls in India. And so we began to see miracles. I mean, we got a curriculum to where we could teach the girls from um, first grade all the way through 12th grade. And we would teach them the Bible, and they would learn to read Hindi. I mean, when Sister Kelly came back, she said, Suzanne, these girls are speaking Hindi with a southern accent. <laughs> Namaste, y'all. <laughs> And so, so here we were, and I, I was like, okay, so I signed up for my uh, third year because now these are my girls, and this is my home, and I could do this forever. And so um, when uh, I was, it got to be October of my year of miracles, and we were seeing all kinds of victory. Girls were getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and I mean, they're in Nepal now preaching the gospel. They're all over. They're with YWAM. They're all over the place. I mean, God has done miracles. As a matter of fact, I think I've got a picture of my girls if, um, somewhere. Yeah, this is the latest group, yes, and so, um, yes, aren't they precious? These are redeemed lives, redeemed girls with a plan and a call on their lives. That's our girls. And so um, so I said, yes, I could do this forever. And so um, in October of my year of miracles, they called and said, Suzanne, your mom has had a heart attack, and you need to come home now if you want to see her. She's in intensive care. And I said, okay, well, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm pack, call, packing my suitcase, calling David Grant, my, um, my area director, and I said, hey, can, can I go home to see my mom. She's in intensive care. And he said, yeah. He says, it's October. Why don't you just have Christmas with her and then stay until um, January and come back the first of the year. And I said, okay. He, and he says, just book your ticket. We'll figure it out later. And I said, okie doke. So I booked my ticket and here I, I, I was um, packing my things and getting ready to come back to the States. And uh, Sister Kelly, she came and she sat on the end of my bed because she and Pastor Rich were back. And, um, and she said, Suzanne, do you remember when we called and asked you to, um, to stay for one more year? And I said, yes, I can't, yes, how could I ever forget that? <laughs> and uh, she said, well, we were actually in Springfield, Missouri, and we were with 500 missionary couples, and we were listening to this pastor named Ron Cox give his testimony. And she said, we laughed and we cried. The man is just a nut. <laughs> and so, 
she said, but um, she said, the whole time he was speaking, I could only think of you. And I said, what is that about? She goes, well, he's pastored in Alabama somewhere. I don't even know where. And she said, and when they first got to the church where uh, he's pastored for 27 years at that time, they, she said um, his wife had become very ill with a neurological disease. And, and they, at first they could not figure out what was wrong with her. And, um, and so because um, it was shutting down her uh, thought processes and they could not figure out what was wrong with her. And so they had been from psychiatrist to psychiatrist trying to figure out. And Glenda was just beautiful. And, um, and so they said by the time they figured out what was wrong with her, it was already five years in. And they said, you know, you're, you'll be, um, without a miracle, you'll be in a wheelchair and then in, in a nursing home. And so, because um, it's a long-term illness. And so when, when Kelly was telling me this, she said he kept... Uh, he started a Christian school so they know where the girls were. He had a six-month-old baby girl, Tiffany, and a little five-year-old girl, Stacy. And um, and she said, you know, he was taking care of them and fixing Glenda's hair and doing her makeup and bringing her to church. And and um, and then he started the school so that he'd know where the girls were and that they were safe. And and uh, and so he just progressed on through that. And she said he would bring her to church in the wheelchair, lay hands on the sick, and they would recover and get up and walk out the door. And Glenda continued to get worse and worse. And I don't understand that. I know that Jesus is the healer. And so there's some things this side of heaven I'll never understand. And then she uh, was placed in the nursing home while the girls went off and they um, met their incredible husbands at at Southeastern Bible College, pa Pastor Jay West and Pastor Jeremy Sims. And, um, and I thank God, Ron always says that that's my compensation is two son-in-laws who are absolutely incredible men of God. And yes, yes. And he's right. And so um, Glenda, um, they said they had to put her in the nursing home where Ron went every morning and said, um, honey, if you can hear me by the grace of God, I'll be faithful to you one more day. But I'll have to come back tomorrow and tell you the same thing. And she said, Suzanne, did that for another nine years, day after day, after month, after month, after year, after year. And... Um, when Kelly said, um, you know, they called him the singing preacher at the nursing home because Glenda loved Elvis. <laughs> and he would go sing Elvis songs to her. And, uh, you know, I mean, the whole community knew him. And this church walked through that um, with him. And I don't even know how to tell all this. And so, um, anyway, when Glenda passed away, um, Kelly told me, she said, you know, Suzanne, when you go home to Alabama, she said, I, I want you to go find Pastor Ron Cox, and I want you to meet him because one day I believe this man is going to be your husband. And I looked at her and said, shut up. <laughs> I mean, if the man has pastored the same church for 27 years, like how old is this man? <laughs> and she said, you are no spring chicken sitting on 40. <laughs> Amen. And I said, 
well, I'm not going home to meet some pastor in Alabama. I'm coming home to see my mom. And then I'm coming back because this is my home and these are my girls. And she said, well, I'm just saying. And I said, well, I'm just saying, if God wants me to meet Pastor Ron Cox, he's just going to have to set up a divine appointment. <laughs> yeah. And so I get off the plane in October of my year of miracles, and my mother greets me at the airport and says, I have the heart of a 16-year-old because God has healed my heart. He's given me a brand new heart. He is still Jehovah Rapha. He is still the miracle worker. He is still the God of miracles. And so I said, well, guess what? I said, I get to spend Christmas with you, and then I'm going back to India. And I said, but first got to figure out how I'm going to pay for my ticket. So I called my pastor, and I said, hey, can I come see you? And he said, sure, come on in. So three days after I get off the airplane in my October of my year of miracles, I'm sitting in my pastor's office, Pastor Loper, and we're, you know, catching up on what God's doing in the church and what God's doing in India. And all of a sudden, um, Dolores' secretary, instead of walking, instead of beeping him on the telephone, she walks in and says, Pastor Loper, Pastor Ron Cox is on the telephone. I'm like, Ron Cox? <laughs> That's that man's name. That thing wasn't on the back burner. That thing was on fire. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sitting there, and I thought, wow, um, yeah, so, uh, so I'm listening to them talk, and he doesn't know anything about all this. And so, so, um, so <laughs> don't get me started. Okay, and so, so Pastor Loper is talking, and he goes, oh, Ron, he said, I can't play golf with you today, you know, real spiritual stuff. He said, I can't play golf with you today. I've got appointments backed out the door. And then he looks at me and he goes, but I'm sitting here with a little missionary from India. She's never been married. She got born again in my church. She'd probably love to play golf with you today. Here, why don't you talk to her on the telephone? And I'm going, no, I don't even play golf. No, I don't want to talk to him. And so he's, and I could hear, he's passing the phone over to me. And I could hear Ron on the other end going, John, no, no, <laughs> no. He's thinking missionary from India, never been married, must be looking like Mother Teresa, you know. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom, you know, with the butt. And so, so he hands me the phone, and we talk as fast as we can, and we get off the phone as fast as we can. And I'm like, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. And he goes, well, you're not going to believe this. But Ron and Glenda were some of our best friends. They've been across town your whole life. And his girls grew up with my girls. And he said, hey, Thursday is our sectional council, and all the pastors will be here, and all the missionaries have to be here. He said, maybe we can have lunch afterwards. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. And he goes, well, yeah. So I, I came in to the continental breakfast that Thursday morning, and um, I asked one of my women's ministry ladies, and I said, is Pastor Ron Cox in the house? <laughs> And she said, well, yeah, he's sitting over there with Pastor Loper. And I thought, well, now's my chance to spy out the land. <laughs> so I turned around, and I looked at him, and I turned around, and I looked again. And I said, glory to God. The man is so fun. Hallelujah. I said, oh, Father, you have my permission to go with this one. Amen. <laughs> so... So Ron got my number that day, but, I, you know, actually, we met in the foyer, but I'm so shy and insecure <laughs> that I took off. And so 
Pastor Dan Ross's valley called my mother's house the next morning, and he said, my friend Ron met you yesterday, and we were wondering if you would have lunch with us today. And I said, oh, no. I said, I'm wearing blue jeans, and I'm doing a master's commission meeting. And I said, I just don't know how I could do that. He goes, well, I'll wear blue jeans and see you at 12 o'clock. <laughs> so what to do but go? And so I went, and oh, my word, I was nervous as a cat. I was driving over there and thinking, what have I got myself into? And um, so um, we get over there, and and Ron begins to tell me about being on a servant leadership team that meets at that South Trust building downtown with pastors and businessmen, that God would break down racial barriers and denominational barriers and make our city a light on the hill. And when he said that, it's like the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Suzanne, there's your Proverbs 3123 man. He's respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He said, Suzanne, that man's going to be your husband. And all the fears and the insecurities of my past came flooding in. Oh, but God, how would his girls ever accept me if they really knew who I was? How would the church ever accept me if they found out my past and the things that I have done? And the Holy Spirit just swept that from my mind. He said, listen, this isn't about your works. This is about my grace. And that man is going to be your husband. Amen. And I said, well, okay, but who's going to tell him? <laughs> I'm not going to tell him. I am a nonprofit organization. <laughs> I know, that's so bad. So I said, well, um, yeah, so he got my number that day. And on that day, um, we began to talk, and he would call me, and he was traveling and doing missions, and I was traveling and visiting friends while I was back in the States. And so he, um, so he called me, and then uh, and, uh, Thanksgiving of my year of miracles, I met my girls. I met my beautiful Stacy and Tiffany. Lord have mercy, I don't even know how to tell this part. I fell in love with them. God gave me favor with them. And, um, you know, I, it, you know, it's one thing to go through a storm that lasts a year, or two years, or five years, or ten years. But what about when it turns into 15 years and 20 years and 24 and a half years? These girls went through the storm. It battered them. But you know what? These are women of faith right here. That girl, she gets on her computer every morning and she writes something. I'm telling you. And so I fell in love with my girls. Somebody asked Tiffany one time, how can you not be angry at God? You never saw your mom get healed, but you watched your daddy lay hands on the sick, and they got up and walked out the door. And Tiffany said, how could I ever be angry at God? He's the only one that kept us from losing our sanity when we went through a storm that lasted 25 years. He's the only one. 
she said, I don't know why my mother never got healed. But Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for her transgressions, bruised for her iniquities. The chastisement of her faith was upon him, and with the stripes she was healed. Chastisement of her peace. So then after seven years ago, oh, my Lord, Tiffany called and said, Daddy, I have Huntington's disease. And now she's in heaven. They're the youth pastors, the worship leaders. She can sing the roof off of this building. Why? I don't know. <laughs> if you continue to ask why, you eventually turn into an accusation against the faithfulness of God. I refuse to do that. Not my girls. Four years ago, Stacy was diagnosed with Huntington's disease. But you know what? Our God is still the God of miracles. He's still the God of miracles. He's still the God of miracles. I'm believing for a DNA change. This day, I'm telling you, I believe. I believe no weapon formed against us shall prosper. What do you do when you get a report like that? Do you hang your harp on the willow tree like the children of Israel did when they went into Babylonian captivity? And the, the enemy tormented them and said, let's hear you sing the song of the Lord now in a strange land. And they hung their harp on the willow tree and they refused to sing the song of the Lord. Not my girls. Not my girls. My girls are full of faith. My girls believe Tiffany would, Tiffany would run when she couldn't even walk. She would run. <laughs> That's what Ron asked Stacy the other day. She's in the back seat and we go out every thankful Thursday. And he said, baby, what do you don't do when the Lord heals you? She said, I'm going to run. I'm going to run. And I said, amen. You will never run alone as long as I'm in the house. Woo! Amen. You'll never run alone. So I fell in love with my girls. And then on uh, Thanksgiving, he met my mom. Ron met my mom, and she said, he's perfect for you. My mom is 96 now and still ticking. I still talk to her every single day. That heart is still going. <laughs> so, so I fell in love with my girls, and then it got to be... Um, December of my year of miracles, and if our worship team will come, we're going about to wrap this thing up. So they, they, um, so here it was, December. I have my ticket to go back in January, and Ron calls me from, um, from New York City and says, hey, what are you doing? I said, where are you? And he goes, I'm up here in New York City. He said, have you ever seen the Christmas lights in New York City? And I said, New York City? <laughs> no, I have never seen the Christmas lights in New York City. And he, I said, what are you doing in New York City? He said, I'm up here with my friend and my mentor, Pastor David Wilkerson. You know, I know. <laughs> you know, Pastor David, he's in heaven now, but that prophet of God, he'd never let you call him a prophet. He said, I'm a watchman on the wall of America. He had a heart for broken people. He built Teen Challenge Centers all over the world. But he also had a heart for broken preachers.
And about 20 years prior, Ron was wiped out by a dumpster at a repentance conference that Pastor David had. And he was crying his heart out, not knowing how he was going to make it, how he was going to raise the girls and take care of Glinda and take care of the church and all that. How? How? And he was just crying and crying. And he said, I felt these bony fingers come underneath my head and lift my face to his. And it was Pastor David. And he said, son, I don't know what you're walking through, but God is faithful. You're going to go through deep waters, but they'll not overtake you. You're going to go through the fire, but you'll not be burned. He said, God's faithful. He's going to see through. He said, I want you to have lunch with me today. And over the course of about 20 years, as the Spirit led, Pastor David would call Ron and say, get somebody to take care of Glenda and the girls. Come up here to New York City and walk the streets with me. Let us pray for you at Times Square Church. He said, you're going to make it because we're praying. So he said, who else would I go to? He went up there and he said, Pastor David, I feel like I've met somebody that I want to marry. But I'm so afraid to put my heart on the line. I watch my girls grow up and marry men of God. I watch my church grow to nearly 2,000 in spite of everything we went through. Watch my girls marry men of God. But personal happiness has always seemed to elude me. He said, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've met somebody, but I don't know. I'm afraid to put my heart out there. And Pastor David said, why don't we stretch out on the carpet and see what God has to say about it. And after 20 minutes, he sat up and he said, Ron, you marry her. You marry her, God is going to give you back everything that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust is eaten. God is going to give you a triple harvest of every sunset that you missed. And if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen a thousand sunsets. Every hand being held over a candlelight dinner, God's going to give it back to you. He said, you bring her up here, I want to meet her. And I said, I don't want to meet the prophet. <laughs> I mean, you get his newsletter and put it on the coffee table and circle it for three days before you opened it. <laughs> I said, besides that, I cannot go out of town with a single pastor. I am a missionary of integrity. <laughs> don't compromise your walk with God for anybody. For anybody. And so I, I, you know, he goes, well, what if, what if Barbara, his secretary, calls and asks you to speak to his home for women who are rescued from prostitution? And you could, you could, you know, you could stay with his secretary. And, you know, David Wilkerson is going to call you and he's going to ask you. And I said, well, I don't know. Let me pray about it. Amen. Send me a ticket. <laughs> so he did. And I went. And so he, Pastor David prayed the sweetest prayer over us, and then he sent us on a carriage ride around Central Park. And so I had on my little my little black fur attitude hat and my long black wool coat. I think we got a picture of that. And we started walking the street. Oh, look at Ron, the glory clouds all over his face. <laughs> and so... Um, so, you know, we started walking the streets of New York City, and it was sleeting and snowing, and 
And he said, Suzanne, didn't you tell me that the year 2000 is your year of miracles? And I said, yes, that's what God spoke to me at the beginning of the year. And, I, you know, I had my ticket to go back in January. And he said, didn't you tell me that Miracle on 34th Street is your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> I said, I love Miracle on 34th Street. It's my all-time fave. And I watch it in 120 degrees in India. And he said, well, I want you to look up. And when I looked up, we were standing in front of Macy's on 34th Street and Broadway. And he brought out this beautiful diamond ring. And he says, Suzanne, I never thought that I would see personal happiness again. He said, will you marry me and be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church? And I was crying so hard. I looked like Tammy Faye with a little wet skunk on my head. <laughs> but I managed to say, yes, I will marry you. And he said, Sunday as our missions, Sunday, he said, I want you to come and I want you to tell your story. And I said, oh, not my story. Let me tell somebody else's story. I said, your church has been through the valley with you for 27 years. He said, that's right, and they'll stand on the mountaintop with me too. That's right. That's right. So I stood right here. And I told my story because I'm really nothing but a trophy of God's grace. Listen, if you'll allow your pain to become your platform, God will use you to pull people out of darkness. He will use you to break the chains. So I stood and I told my story and he came up beside me and he said, church, we give and we give to missions. It's the lifeblood of our church. We have built churches and Bible colleges around the world. He said, and today I'm here to tell you, God is giving us back a missionary. And she's going to be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church. And they stood to their feet. You stood to your feet and you clapped for 20 minutes. <laughs> clapped for 20 minutes. And on February 17th of the year 2001, the women's ministry of Kingwood Church gave us the most beautiful wedding you've ever seen in your life. I came down the center aisle wearing a white dress. <laughs> Because our God makes all things new. I think we have a picture of that. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Our God is the God who gives beauty for ashes. I want you to meet my husband. Come on, hus come on, honey. 18 years we've been married. for a women's conference, but this is what you got. And But God wants not to just refresh you, but to change your life tonight. He wants everything to change before you walk out those doors. 
And maybe you're here and you say, Suzanne, if you're going to pray for people, I want you to pray for me. There's some things in my life that need to change. I need Jesus to come in to change my life. Will you pray for me because I'm not where I need to be with Jesus? Is there anybody here that would say that's me? Suzanne, I need I need change. Yes, yes. Oh, the hands are going up all over the place. Yes, yes. Is there anybody? Yes, yes, yes. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to change me. I need a new beginning. If that's you, I want you to come on and step out. I'm going to meet you down here. I'm going to meet you down here. You're going to experience God. He's going to meet you right here. And he's going to pour out his spirit. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Keep coming. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Come on down. Come on. Come on down here because I might fall off. I'm wearing heels. <laughs> oh, my lands. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love y'all. I love you. I love you. Is there anybody else? God always makes space for one more. There's always room for one more at the foot of the cross. Anybody? Anybody would say, Suzanne, I've got some compromise going on in my life, and I need to get right with God. I need to get right before I walk out that door. Listen, some of you have been listening to the lies of the enemy. Oh, yes, ma'am. Come on. Come on. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Give me your hand. You're so precious. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's everybody put our hand over our heart. Come on. Even out there. Come on. Say, Jesus, thank you. You died on the cross for me so that I could be free. Come into my heart. Change my life. Make me the woman of God that you created me to be. I am yours and you are mine. You are not just my Savior. You are my Lord. And I will say yes, sir, to whatever you call me to do. Jesus. Okay, now, all these who just got who just got born again, recommitted their heart back to the life, to the Lord, <laughs> are about to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You ready for that? Woo! Might as well get the whole package tonight, right? It's just like drinking water. And if anybody out there has not been filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be. Listen, salvation gets you into heaven. The baptism in the Holy Ghost gets you to Walmart. (laughs) I mean, you need the power of love in your life. You need grace in your life. You need power to be a witness for Jesus. You need fire and refreshing. Okay. So if there's anybody else, then I want you to come. I'm going to gather my little uh, prayer team around. And we're going to start praying, and y'all are going to start singing. And we're going to, first of all, let's just do some instrumental in the beginning, okay? If you're battling fear or depression, I want you to come. Come over here to this side. Fear, depression. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. He's a liar. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. A sound mind. Yes, baby. Tonight is your night for your miracle. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Yes. Okay. So let's just do instrumental for now. Wilkerson would never let any student graduate until they were filled with the Holy Ghost. 
because you're not going to make it out there. You're not going to make it out there without power, endued with power. My friends, I would have a bad day. My friends would say, let's go just have a drink. And there were days that I wanted to go. You know what I would do? I would go get on that nasty bathroom floor in that printing company. And I would say, God, you know I want to go. I know I want to go. But I don't want to lose this peace that I have with you. Please, God, give me the strength to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things that you have for me. And I would pray in the Holy Ghost on that nasty bathroom floor. And I would get up and I'd open the door like super Christian. And I would say, you go. I'm going to Miss Betty's house. And because I know she's got a cake. (laughs) And she would say, don't you give up. You're going to make it. 